0: Hi everybody, my name is Doug Mathers. I want to welcome you to Crosswinds Church, our online worship experience. Um, We're so glad that you're with us today. Just a few announcements I want to make and and I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on in our culture that we've had an ongoing series of conversations about. So, first of all, um, if you're part of Crosswinds, you already know this I hope because you should have gotten an email, but next Saturday night, June 27th, we're going to have our first outdoor worship experience. And I want you to come at 7 o'clock. We're going to have worship and we're going to have a message and we're going to have communion together. And then we're going to watch an episode of The Chosen, which is, for my opinion is, it's the best film series. It's about seven or eight series in a season uh, that's ever been created. So I'm very excited for those of you who can hang out. So bring everything you need, a chair, a blanket, bring popcorn, bring your beverages. If you don't bring it, you won't have it and I want to encourage you to come, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, You can go to our website to let us know. By the way, if you're not getting our email, and you would like to get notifications from us, um, you can just send us a note at office at crosswindschurch.com, and we will add you to our mailing list so that you have details of what's taking place. Then, a week after that, we're going to do another event on July 4th. I'll tell you more about that next week, but from 5 to 7 p.m., we're going to have actually supper together where Crosswinds provides the meat, hot dogs, brats, and burgers, and you provide everything else that you're going to need. And we're going to have a big picnic together out by the amphitheater outside. So um, there's room for everybody, so we hope you come. All right, we are, uh, each week I've been been talking about the racial inequality God's calling us as Christians ever since the death of George Floyd, which, by the way, just so we're all on the same page about that, I'm going to come out and say it out loud, that was evil. We talked about overcoming evil last week. What took place that day was evil. And um, it has nothing to do with how good or bad George Floyd was. It has everything to do with the fact that someone needlessly died uh, because of bad policing. And and that's connected to to show us and remind us of this racial inequality that we have in our country. And it's not just black and white, but it's it's every race. There's things going on. So we want to become people who care about justice, um, care about mercy, care about equal opportunity. I came across a a film. Someone's been asking, uh, why are they so angry, whoever they are, and the protesters and all that? Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales, took that on a little bit. He made this video that I thought was outstanding. It's on YouTube. It's um, Holy Post-Race in America. So if you put that into the search, Holy Post-Race in America, Phil gives, in just a few minutes, a history, and it's mostly a financial um, analysis, of, of why we are where we are today. And... I'm not asking you to argue every point with him. I'm asking you to listen to the story because it hasn't been told right. And Phil tells it. I think he did a marvelous job. And and there's things that are missing, yeah, because it's huge. It's so big, it can't be dealt with in a 12 minute video. But if you had a chance, listen to Phil, and I think it will help give you some insights. It gave me some insights and a history lesson of what's gone on. Speaking of history, yesterday was June 13th. Excuse me, not June 13th. It was Juneteenth. Right now, this is the part where things get embarrassing for me. I had no idea. I mean I'm just gonna be honest about it. I'm 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 pale, I'm you know, I'm white. Um, I grew up in Minnesota and I've never been exposed to what Juneteenth is. And my daughter, who also is pale and white, grew up in Minnesota, but she was educated better than I was in these things. I said, Molly, what's Juneteenth? And she said, Okay, Dad, let me explain it to you. I, was, I always love that moment, right? It's great when your t- kids teach you things, and she has. So she said, do you remember the Emancipation Proclamation? I said, of course, Abraham Lincoln, the slaves were set free. And she goes, yeah, legally. They were set free legally, but they weren't set free indeed, free in reality, until the whole nation released them. And there were slave owners who kept the information about the Emancipation Proclamation a secret. They didn't let that information get to their slaves because they wanted to keep them slaves. In fact, she said, it took the Union army going across the nation, setting um, plantation by plantation, owner by owner, the slaves free, telling that they have been set free, that they don't serve this master anymore, and actually emancipating them. It was a movement across, not just a proclamation. Yes, it started there, but it didn't end until June 19th, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. And that was the last slave. And and there's a movement to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. And I'm going to go out and tell you my opinion. Absolutely. It should be a national holiday. It shouldn't be a black holiday. It should be a national holiday because, and this is what we miss, when that last slave was set free, it wasn't the blacks only that were set free. It was our nation was set free. Free to actually try to become what we said we wanted to be, a nation where men and women and all people are created equally. And we have this equal opportunity to pursue happiness and and to make the best of our lives here. And that includes religion, by the way, the freedom of religion. This is why um, what I admire about our country is our ideals. We know that we have to work towards them. and, And that's not only because we're Americans, but. Maybe even more so, I hope, because we're Christians, because we follow God, because we view other people as creations of God, and that we're, in a sense, equal with them. let me read to you what Paul wrote to a very divided community. It was um, in Galatia. The church, we call them the Galatians. That's what the book is called. But it had its own divisions, its own races, its own nationality and religions Dividing them. But then this church got together with all those representations in it. And here's what Paul wrote to them. He said, So, you are all children of God. Right? Through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism. By the way, everybody who was a Christian in those days was baptized. They were all baptized the same way. They didn't have all the divisions that we talk about. Which way were you baptized? None of that mattered all baptism meant was you were following Christ so you're you're a Christ follower and you've made, been made like him so there's no longer Jew or Gentile and if they were in the room when that was being read you would have said yes there is there's a Jew over there and there's a Gentile over here goes no I know I know it. I know out there that's true but not in Christ we're all children of God we're not Jew or Gentile there's no slave or free yeah but Bob over there is a slave and Bill is a, he owns a slave and he goes yeah I know that's the reality we live in today but but no we're children of God and we got to fix these things there's no male or female and of course there's male and female there's male that's not a reality they were denying but they were saying we're Christ followers first it unites us we're living together as brothers and sisters in Christ there's no male and female and females have been held down it's another topic for another time. But I'm, I'm Crosswinds has always said that we want to be a church that helps women release them from all barriers to serve God in their full capacity. I've got to be careful not to get too long and give you another message here. Then he goes on, he says, For you are all Christians. You are all Christ followers. You are one in Christ Jesus. Now you belong to Christ. You want what your identity is? It's in Christ. All of our identity is in Christ. You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And now all the promises God gave to him belong to you. You want to know why racism matters to me? It's because we're family. Those are my brothers and sisters, and they're being held back. And again, it's bigger than black. Include Native Americans. Include, include nationalities if you want to. But we should be on the lookout for that. Things that aren't right, because justice and mercy, the Bible says, we were supposed to let them flow like a river. And we can't sit back and live our own free lives as long as other people don't really have freedom and opportunity. So we're going to be talking about this for a long time. Someone wrote me this week and said, hey, why don't we just do a big teaching series on racial equality? And my answer to that is because a teaching series is over so soon. We need to keep this conversation going in small groups, in our church, in our leadership. uh, And we need to figure out what our role is going to be, together and individually. That's your job, and it's my job. So let's pray, and then we'll begin our, our well, I guess we'll continue our experience together. Christ, Jesus, Lord, Father God, we pray to you right now. We ask that you would touch our hearts, make us open to your word. Help us to to, to see other people as your children, see your love for them, and let that be the thing that shapes how we Um, how we live, how we lead, how we vote, how we care, how we take action. And God, today, teach us and lead us as the people who you've called to overcome. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: All right. Well, hello and welcome. So glad that you've clicked in today. My name is Jeff. I'm really glad to be able to bring the third message in this series entitled Overcome. Today's message is on overcoming worry and anxiety. Have you ever had a knot in your stomach or a lump in your throat about something that you had no control over whatsoever? Maybe a gnawing fear or an inability to sit still and to focus? Before we get into what worry and anxiety are and how they can affect us and what we can do about them, I'd like to take a brief moment here right at the beginning and just throw a couple of questions up on your screen. Uh, you'll, you'll see the questions come up and you just spend a moment and reflect or discuss these and uh, you know, just really be honest and let it kind of set up the rest of the message today. We've all experienced worry and anxiety at some point and to some degree. So you take a moment and you click play again when you're ready to rejoin us. Worry and anxiety. These two things are so common in our culture today that it's like a defining characteristic of our world. Billy Graham said, historians will probably call our era the age of anxiety. Anxiety is the natural result when our hopes are centered in anything short of God and his will for us. Now, I want you to know that uh, in speaking on this topic today, I'm not just like regurgitating a bunch of stuff that I got in a seminary class one day a class on worry and anxiety and now I'm just pulled my notes out and I'm just giving you everything I got in that class no this is mostly from experience uh, I've had a lot of personal experience with worry and anxiety and I know how these two uh, unwanted intruders can disrupt our lives and terrorize us before I was launched into my own horrendous experience with worry and anxiety I was an extremely prideful person, and I'm not trying to say that you know I never struggle with pride anymore or anything, but it's night and day compared to what it used to be. My legalism and my religious approach to following Jesus uh, led to two things. I had become two things, spiritually arrogant and spiritually ignorant. That's what legalism and religion always leads to, and I thought I had it all figured out. You know, people who worried and struggled with anxiety, it's just, just like buck up, man. You just need more faith. They just need to pray more. They just need to study the Bible more. And don't wuss out and go to a doctor and, and get a little pill that you, for something that you should be trusting God for. Come on. You know, and, that's, and I want to be clear here. That's what I used to think, okay? That's not the message today. So for those of you who just lean forward to to turn your televisions off, hold on. That's what I used to think back when I knew everything. And then I entered an extremely stressful season of my life, and it blindsided me. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't see it coming, and uh, I became overrun with worry and anxiety, and I tried hard to pray these things away, but I couldn't shake them. And eventually I had a panic attack, which was my first one ever, and so I talked to a pastor friend of mine to try to figure out what in the world is going on with me, and he asked me to list everything that I had going on in my life over the last few months. And so I started listing things, and as I was listing them, he's kind of doing a little tally, and he says, Jeff, your stress points are off the charts. He said, your stress points are three times what a normal load of stress for a person should be. And you know, looking back, it's hard to fathom, it's hard to even fathom the physical toll that worry and anxiety took on me. I want to tell you a little bit about it and describe it. I was freaking out over the smallest little things. I was having like level 10 stress responses to level 1 stressors. I was having panic attacks regularly after a while, and they were lasting for hours at a time. I barely ate. I barely slept. I couldn't focus on God's word during that time because my mind was so muddled. It's like thoughts and stuff running through at a bazillion miles an hour, and I couldn't grab hold of any one thing to concentrate on. I couldn't worship. All of my prayers, and I prayed a lot during that time or tried to. Uh, All of my prayers resembled those desperation prayers from the book of Psalms from from David. It was a lot like, God, don't you see me? God, where are you? God, look at me. Don't you you look around and, and find me. I'm here. I'm struggling. I need you. Where are you? Rescue me. Rescue me. Deliver me. That's what my prayers were like. And my wife would tell you that all I ever wanted to talk about during this season was how I was feeling Usually, right at that moment, what my stress levels were, how, how my anxiety and, and worry were affecting me. That's all I ever wanted to talk about. I was completely consumed by this. I lost 50 pounds during that season. I remember one morning weighing in at 129 pounds and saying, Okay something is wrong here and I need to start paying attention to this because I am wasting away. And this lasted for six months. I was absolutely miserable and I felt like I aged a decade over those months. And you might be wondering, why didn't you just go to the doctor? You started feeling that way. Just go to the doctor, duh. Well, to be honest, a bunch of people who I respect, a bunch of people whose counsel I value and trust, had told me that I should do exactly that. But spiritual arrogance and ignorance, I knew better, and I wasn't going to go to the doctor. Going to the doctor was not an option for me. But I was getting to a place where I just couldn't take this anymore. I couldn't keep living Like this. I could barely do anything. As I said, my mind was like a whirlwind of thoughts, and I couldn't even focus on any one thing for more than like five seconds. And I lived for months this way. And I was trying to pray through this thing, whatever it was. I still didn't even know, but I couldn't seem to get a breakthrough. I couldn't even pray. Now, we're going to come back to my story here in a little while, but. I want to take a moment here just to get some clarity on these two words that we're zeroing in on today, worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety, they're not the same thing, although they are very closely related. Anxiety is a general sense of unrest and disquiet. It's kind of a general underlying kind of a thing. Anxiety is not attached to anything specific. Worry, on the other hand, has a specific object, and so that's the distinction. Worry has been defined as stewing without doing, and I think that's a really good definition actually, because all of these future things that we worry about and we fret over are things that we can't do anything about. Almost everything we worry about is uncontrollable, at least by us. I found this fascinating. Worry, this word, comes from an old English word which means to choke or to strangle. Worry can choke the hope and the joy right out of a person's life. And I learned that. I knew that very well. Worry can choke out our creativity, our emotions, our outlook on life, and even our faith. And these two things can affect us very powerfully. They can be extremely powerful. They have the power to freeze us. We can become so wrapped up in the past or in the future, and almost always with worry, it's future, but we can become so wrapped up in the past or future that we become paralyzed in the present. That's the power that worry and anxiety have over us. Now, I do want to draw a fine line here and say that Worry is not the same thing as concern. I don't want there to be any confusion about this. Care and concern, those are really good things. But this is tricky because the line that separates loving concern and toxic worry is sometimes difficult to identify. So here are a few statements that I think will help us clarify. Concern is healthy. Worry is toxic. Concern motivates us to act, whereas worry freezes us, it paralyzes us. Concern focuses on what we can control, and worry focuses on what we can't control. Concern is based on what is, whereas worry is all based on what ifs. And this is why we have to be on our guard because caring and concern can so easily and so subtly slip into worry and anxiety. You see, worry is toxic because when I worry, I am attempting to reach into the future in order to control it. It's toxic because when I worry, I am assuming responsibility that God never intended for me to have. It's like my future is—it belongs to God. That is God's territory, not mine. And so when I worry, it's like I am reaching into God's territory and grabbing what I can, and then I'm pulling it back to myself, and I'm saying, no, God, mine. Mine. That is what happens when I worry, and that's why worry is toxic. A great example of a classic warrior in the Bible is Abraham. God had told Abraham to leave his home and to go to a place that God would show him, and Abraham did. But then, as he was journeying, there was a famine, and so Abraham and his wife, Sarah, had to go to Egypt, had to detour to Egypt. Genesis 12 said, As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Let's kill him so then we can have her. <laughs> so this is classic worrying, projecting a worst case scenario and then reaching into the future to try to control it. And so Abraham devises a plan to get out of his perceived Jam. It was only a perceived jam. He wasn't actually in a jam yet. This was just all projections, all what ifs, and he was worried about it. And and uh, his plan involved his wife lying to the king. Okay, this is just—it's a terrible plan. All right, this is just a really bad plan. But this is how worry always works. It works the same with us as it does with Abraham. Abraham began trusting in his plan and his desired outcome rather than trusting in God. Classic worrier. But Abraham becomes one of the giants of the faith in the Bible. How can that happen, given what we just read early on in his story? Well, somewhere along the way, Abraham overcame his worrying. And we know this because as an older man, God asked Abraham to do something really, and I mean really, hard. I'm not going to go into the details here. You can read about it for yourself in Genesis chapter 22. But the point is that when we get to that point in his life, which is a lot further down the road than than what we just looked at, lying to the king and worrying about it, we don't see any worrying at all now. No toxic self-talk, no doom and gloom projections of his future, what we see instead is a man who is keeping his mouth shut and who is confidently trusting in God's character and in his provision. Abraham changed and so can we. He overcame worry and so can we because the same God that helped Abraham overcome that stuff is the same God who helps us overcome it. No matter how entrenched worry and anxiety are in our lives, God is always inviting us to trust him, come what may. We're going to pause here for another moment. You're going to have a couple more questions on your screen to reflect and and discuss, and you just hit play again when you're ready to rejoin us. All right, so before I get into a couple of really helpful things that we can do to overcome worry and anxiety, I want to tell you the rest of my story, okay? One of the reasons, other than being spiritually arrogant and spiritually ignorant, one of the reasons that I didn't want to go to the doctor is that my doctor was an elder at my church, and he was the one who chaired the board that did my annual performance reviews, and so my spiritual arrogance and 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 Pharisee stuff that I had going on was just like, "No, you can never under any circumstances talk to him about this stuff." I was projecting all kinds of wild stuff around this. I envisioned you know them calling i'm going to talk to this guy and then they're going to call a, a special emergency meeting of the elders and they're going to have me come in and they're going to fire me and say jeff we never should have hired you in the first place we didn't know that you were this weak we didn't and we can't have you as a pastor here blah 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 it was it was crazy it was horrible but i resolved to see him because i couldn't live like this anymore i couldn't go on like this any longer. It had been six months. My wife needed her husband back, and my baby boy needed a daddy, and so I went in to see this doctor, and I just told him everything. I mean, I just unloaded on him, and I was emotional throughout it, and uh, and, and he could he could see that, I even told him that I had panic attacks about coming to see him about this about this very conversation we were having right now that I had had panic attacks about that conversation, and uh, he just sat there, uh, he just listened, he took it in, he had just a look of genuine compassion on his face and when I was done, I kind of raised my my stare to, to kind of meet him in his eyes and his eyes were a little wet with tears, you know, and I'll never forget what he did next. He came around and he sat next to me and he put his arm around me and he prayed for me right there. It was like we were in a pastor's office, not a doctor's office. And man, I'll tell you, uh, it was so fatherly. It was so exactly what I needed in that moment. And he very gently and lovingly explained to me that what I needed was a little bit of medication to help get me over this hump. And that while well, the medic is, remember, I couldn't even grab hold of one thought. It, it was just, it, it was insane. It was miserable. And I so I couldn't work through anything because I couldn't even focus on anything. I couldn't journal, couldn't worship, couldn't read the Bible. Could, it was just awful. And he explained to me that while this medication that I had tried so hard, so arrogantly and ignorantly, I had tried so hard to to avoid medication because I didn't want the stigma of taking my little happy pill like, oh, here, Jeff, here's your spiritual maturity pill. Don't forget to take it this morning, right? But he explained to me that while the medication wasn't going to fix everything, it's not how it works, what it was going to do was it was going to slow things down up here so that I was going to be able to get to a place where I could talk through it, where I could pray through it, where I could journal through it. I could have my mind back. And then I would be able to begin working through some of the root issues of all of this worry and anxiety that I still, at that point, six months into it, didn't even understand. So I took the medication, and that for for some of you that that might not be a big deal it's like yeah duh for me it was a big deal taking that medication was a big step for me a big hurdle that i had to overcome in my spiritual maturity process and so i took it and it did exactly what the doctor said it would do and i spent the next 2 years on that medication and i was working through those issues and then I discovered one day that, you know, I'm at a place where I think I'm all right. I think I'm ready to, to kind of move forward now. I, and I had learned over those two years how to overcome worry and anxiety, and I was ready to move forward. I One of the biggest lessons that I learned through that and God uh, humbling me through some really, really tough lessons was never, never sit, In judgment of someone who needs a little medication to help them through something. I used to do that. I don't anymore. I do not hold the same views on all of that stuff that I used to hold. God completely transformed my thinking in that area. So, what do we do then? What do we do about our anxiety and worry? How can we eliminate and stop? the downward spiral of what-ifs and negativity that we fall into in worry and anxiety. How can we overcome it? We overcome it, first of all, by naming it. And I'm just going to give you a, a couple of things here. The first thing we do is name it. We just simply name it. Name the objects of your worry. And I mean out loud, if possible. Name them out loud to God and then name them to a spouse or a loved one or to a good friend, whatever doom and gloom scenarios you are projecting for yourself and in your future, name it out loud. This is one of the best ways that I know of, and I still do it even today. This is one of the best ways that I know of to begin to choke out worry before worry begins to choke me. My wife and I uh, got into this habit and we do this all the time now, multiple times a week. Anytime something comes up, like she'll just come into me and say, yeah, I've got the lump in my throat right now. I've just been stewing on this or that and I'm just kind of worried and it's just, or I'll go in and, and say that to her and my physical symptoms are different than hers, but, but I'll just say, yeah, can, can we talk through this? And, and so we understand and, and uh, it's been so effective that we love doing it now. is a little awkward and uncomfortable, a little weird at first, but it's so helpful that now uh, we even look forward to it. And you, you know what we've learned? Is that oftentimes, and not all the time, but but often the fears brought about by all of the what-ifs, and when we begin naming them, you know, they're so irrational and so absurd that after naming the second or third one we're literally cracking up laughing that's how it usually goes for us there is power, great power in naming it, worry and anxiety are powerful but there is great power in just simply naming it it's disarming for the lies that come through worry so we name it secondly we change the narrative We need to come to understand the role of self-talk in our thought patterns. This is so critically important. And I'm not going to go way deep into this because this can be a a whole message on itself. But I do want to encourage you, uh, if you would like to go deeper into this, go to the Crosswinds website, back into the messages section, and go back, I don't know, maybe eight or nine months, something like that, Uh, until you get to the Voices in My Head series that we did. That was an awesome series that was all about self-talk and how we can silence those voices. But changing the narrative is absolutely key. And we do this by replacing the toxic narrative with a healthy one. We have to replace it. We learn to drown out the narrative of what-ifs in that place of fear and paralyzation that it leads us to, we learn to drown that what-ifs narrative out and replace it with one that is in line with God's truth, one we can actually trust in. I told you that I spent two years working through my issues, and and, uh, so what did that look like? What was I doing? What did it look like to work through it? It wasn't just taking a pill. That didn't do it. Uh, what I had to do was uh, work really hard and frustratingly hard at times, but I had to learn to do exactly this, to change the narrative. It's not like flicking a switch. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen because I take a pill. It happens the, the pill helped me get to the place where I could do it, okay? So I, I needed that. But, but changing the narrative is something that is a process, and I spent uh, two years going through that. You see, the key to breaking the paralyzing cycle of worry and anxiety is to find something solid in which to trust. All of those doom and gloom scenarios that worry and anxiety keep throwing in our faces, those aren't trustworthy. Those are not worthy of one bit of our trust. The only thing, the only thing that is worthy of all of my trust when it comes to my future is God. Only God. I can't think of a better way to close out our message today than to just read what Jesus himself said to a crowd of people who, just like us, were prone to worry and I used to read this passage when I, you know, religious and, and legalistic, spiritually arrogant and ignorant, I used to read this passage as judgmental, you know, like pulpit pounding and, you know, Jesus dropping the hammer on some people, but I don't read it like that at all anymore. And as I just read through it, I would love for you to just hear the love and the gracious invitation of Jesus to stop worrying and to start trusting. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you'll have enough food and drink or even clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing and yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries today's trouble today's trouble is enough for today you see God's dream For you and I is that we would give our cares, our worries, our fears, our concerns to him and leave them in his hands and to trust in his promises and in his character. To attach our concerns to something that is rock solid so that our concerns never cross that line into worry. And anxiety, and this this trust is ultimately how we overcome the chokehold of worry and anxiety. Let's pray. God, you are so good. When when a worry surfaces in us, it's it's you're just like a good father. You you point you're pointing out to us an area where we're not fully trusting you. And then lovingly and graciously, you invite us into giving that thing over to you. And then you gently, like a good father, lead us into a deeper trust. And that trust overcomes worry and anxiety. Why don't you take a moment right now anything that's come up in this message, just take a moment right now and give anything over to God that you have been worried or anxious about. We'll just take a small moment here for you to do that and then I'll close. And God, I thank you that you see us I thank you that you know us. I thank you uh, that you have tasted of all of this and have come through it as an overcomer. And by following your lead, we can overcome. Help us, God, because we're needy and we look to you for the strength and the endurance that we need. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for clicking in with us today and have a happy Father's Day.